0: Welcome listeners to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love hosted by Richard Osler. My guest joining us via Zoom from her home in Arizona is my friend Claire Dalton. Welcome to the podcast, Claire.
1: Thanks, Richard. It's good to be here.
0: Tell our listeners how to spell your first name because it can be spelled a few different ways just so they can get it in their mind right.
1: Oh, that's awesome. Yes. So my my full name is Clarissa, but nobody calls me that except for my dad. So I go by Claire, which is C-L-A-R-E. If you just think of dropping the ISSA and adding an E at the end, that's how I got it.
0: I like that. So I've been looking forward to having Claire on the podcast for a while. In fact, about three or four people have reached out to me and said, you got to have Claire on the podcast. And then I met Claire at a meeting, and I thought, "There's there she is this peop this very person that people have been talking about." So um, I've been aware of Claire, and I'm really looking forward to having her on the podcast so that you can hear her story. She's going to share her story as a gay Latter Day Saint. Um, just a little background on Claire: she grew up in, um, I believe, you grew up a little bit in Mesa, but then made your home in Tucson. So you would claim Tucson as your home, is that right?
1: Yes, I would. Yep.
0: And you live now in Mesa, I believe, the Mesa area.
1: Made my way back to the very beginning.
0: And before we went live, we talked about Tucson monsoons, which is one of my interests, but we won't spend the <laughs> podcast talking about that. We could
1: do a whole other episode <laughs> on that.
0: <laughs> um, she served a mission um, in Barcelona, Spain. That's a place a temple's been announced recently, I believe.
1: Yep. Very excited about that.
0: Um, graduated from the University of Arizona, which is located in Tucson. Mm-hmm. Go Wildcats. Go Wildcats. And today, well, we won't, this may be released long <laughs> after they play. So we'll, we won't go into monsoons or the Wildcats record. <laughs> That's um, fair. Um, Claire is a seminary teacher. She's been teaching seminary at the high school level um, in the Mesa Gilbert area for the past seven years and recently came out as gay and continues to be a seminary teacher and re- receives support from her. Um, fellow seminary teachers in the CES um, network, if I'm using the right vocabulary. And um, we've had one other employee of the CES, if I'm using that term right, um, Uh organization. Uh Alec Barrow was on episode 397, and then his children came on 398. And Claire is going to join that very small fraternity as out CES employees. Um, that I think are real trailblazers and pioneers and are heroes to me. Um, Claire, I've read her coming out post and we'll link to it in the show notes. And just a couple of things, just by way, way of introduction, this is a post from October eighth, twenty 2021. Um, I love this line and maybe you'll talk more about it. The next step is to get out of my head, which is sort of coming out. Um, you also talk about, I've always felt there's something inherently wrong with me. And then you talk to God and realize you're not a mistake. So it's just a few things I highlighted. But I think our joint prayers, if you're um, closeted LGBTQ, that this podcast will help you. Um, it'll be principle based on the things that Clara has learned and the things she'd share so that you can make your word forward. I think it will be helpful for um, parents, local leaders, and just Latter day Saints in general to hear firsthand from Claire. Um, Is that okay for an introduction?
1: That was great. And uh, I just as a little background with Alec Barrow, I've actually become friends with him when we've exchanged numbers and some texts. And when he went on um, the questions from the closet podcast and also yours, I was still in the closet, right? And just at that point, I was gobbling up anything that I could find that gave me any sort of confidence that this is a path I can continue to walk. And, um, I reached out through Ben Shalati and Charlie Bird. I reached out to Alec Barrow and and we got connected up. And one of the things that he said was just, it has always resonated with me where, um, we were going to meet in Utah and we couldn't meet up. And he just said, I've been waiting for someone else in the seminary and Institute family. And I'm so glad to know that I've got a family member out there and that has always stuck with me, right? Like that's how, how close as church members in this community we can be. And so, what a great blessing that his courage of being able to speak out and do what he has done has paved some roads for me and also allowed me to maybe step a little bit more confidently into a space that looks really, really scary. So yeah, a great, wonderful introduction. And I'm so grateful for you, Richard, and for the work that you're doing. It's, it's a difficult space to be in and to stay in day in and day out to try and figure out how to navigate when it looks like you don't have any steps forward right? That there just doesn't seem to be a place where I can put my foot. And then it's almost like when it's in the midair is when I find a little bit more space. And so thank you for creating a lot of that.
0: Well, it's an Uh, honor. And you've also been on, we'll link to in the show notes to you did do a questions for the closet podcast with Ben and Charlie that was released um, second week of October. So we'll link to that in the show notes. There'll probably be things you shared in that podcast that won't be in this podcast. And I love that you've been on both platforms and maybe you'll be on more platforms.
1: Yeah, maybe. (laughs) (laughs) My introverted self is going, well, no, no, don't promise anything.
0: But very, very true. Start with just your story. I think it's always, you know, at some point you came to realize you had same-sex attraction. You put a label to that. You label yourself as gay. This was in your head. And as I read your Facebook posts, eventually it needed to be out of your head. So just kind of, if it's okay to start there.
1: Yeah. Um, so I guess one of the things that that is perhaps unique to my story, but at least that is confusing to some people who are just popping into this space and don't have a lot of experience is when I say um, that I came out to myself in 2020, that would be when I'm 32 years old. <laughs> and a lot of people, the reaction to that naturally is, wait, how could you not know? um and so i don't know how widespread this is but at least i know within church culture um when you grow up in a space where something is so evil that you could never be associated to it which is really how i felt growing up about anything related to the lgbtq community um it was an impossibility that that could be my story in my head and so on a very subconscious level, um, I just could never connect the dots that like, maybe these things going on in my life, maybe this is me realizing that this is who I am. Like those dots never connected for me. And and so much so because it was a survival instinct that literally my brain blocked it, you know? And, and I couldn't ever relate to anything that I was feeling or anything that I saw um, looking back, obviously, I can see different things about, oh, that's what that was or this and that it didn't exist in my brain is really all that I can say about that. So in 2020, when I did come out to myself, it is exactly what it sounds like. That July of 2020 was the first time that I allowed myself to think the phrase Um And I wouldn't use this phrase now, same-sex attraction, but that is the phrase that I could at the time was, I think this is my story. I think this is me. The exact phrase I thought was, I think I struggle with same-sex attraction. And that was the very first time that I had ever been able to connect that idea and me in a sentence. Um, And it led to uh, really just a breakdown of, of all the walls that I had built in my life. I spent days, this was in the middle of quarantine and COVID kind of thing. So I was working from home. Um, I wasn't really having a lot of social interaction cause we were all being very careful and it spent to like days of me alone in my room, just sobbing and feeling like everything is broken. Everything is over. I have nothing. Um, and really to the point where I asked myself, like, do I believe that, that there is a God? Do I believe that he's real? Do I believe that all the things that I've been taught in the, in the church growing up, um, and when you're in that sort of space, I don't, I don't know if anyone else can relate to that in different ways, but I think that we all feel different on some level. And I think we all reach points in our lives where we go, I got to check everything that I thought i have believed. Um, and so that was that for me. And really I had to take all the pieces of the life that I had built. So at this point, I mean, I have been, I've served a mission in the church. I've been active my whole life. I've held leadership callings. I'm a seminary teacher. And now I'm having these questions of going, well, what do I stand on? Where's my testimony? If this truth finally punching through has shattered everything, which is really how I felt. And um, I really had to settle on a couple of things that I had to go back for and go, even if I don't know anything else, this is what I know. And the first one that clicked for me was. I know my savior, right? I know Christ. I've had experiences where I have felt like he is real. He loves me and I can trust him. So that was the first thing that clicked into place for me of, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to settle on this. And I kind of visualize it as me surrounded in the ruins of my life. And I've got one safe place to stand. And it's only going to fit my feet. I can't move anywhere, but I've got this one spot. And then I had to figure out, okay, what's my next step? And my next step was, I really truly believe that I have heavenly parents who love me. Right. And so now I've got these two steps next to each other where I can stand a little bit more room. And then, you know, along very close to that truth was I know that I am a child of God. I know that they created me and I know that I have an existence that is bigger than just mortality. Right. There's another step. And, and I just had to go through and really place very specific truths and principles around me and let go of everything else. And, and, you know, that added back in, I really know the book of Mormon and I know the Bible and I believe those truths. And I kind of had to rebuild this foundation, um, outside of a testimony that really at that point in my life, and maybe it's really prideful to say, but I felt like I had most things solidified, you know, and I had a lot of things packaged and the bows tied and that's good. And I have this answer and I know this and, and, uh, when that went, when all went away, I realized that I had less than I thought I had, but those things that I did have were rock solid and are really a part of who I am. And I I don't doubt those parts anymore, if that makes sense.
0: As you have very good communication skills, punch through, and um, <laughs> you took me to the top of Angel's Landing and I don't know, I've never hiked it, but. I just got this visual as you came out to yourself, you were kind of on the top of angels landing and, and you had to figure out what you stood on and you found this little top at the, of the with the savior and heavenly parents who love me and sort of reconstructed. And maybe you're down off angels landing now with this sure foundation, but I love, thank you on behalf of our listeners, just taking us in that space of deconstruction and sort of reconstruction and and I love your testimony of the Savior and your heavenly parents. And um, talk a talk a little bit about how they feel about you as a gay Latter Day Saint.
1: Um, so I have really, I feel like I've really been blessed to have a lot of things um, in my life really build upon each other. And and I I I talked with this a little bit about uh, excuse me. I talked with this a little bit about Ben and Charlie about how. Um, maybe being in the closet for, for so long did allow me to kind of develop in other ways that maybe I wouldn't have had the, the heart space or the mind space to do if I had come out so early. Um, and I don't know what that's like. I don't know what it's like to be out in a teenager. I don't have any of those experiences, but for me, I really had time to develop through my teenage years and my twenties, a personal relationship with heaven. um, And I always felt like I had a really good connection there. And I think serving a mission, as most people who have served missions can tell you, that really um, strips away certain parts of you and rebuilds you as as a human and as a disciple. And I really felt like on the mission that I served, I learned how to trust God um, and to really exercise what faith looks like real time for me. Like I need him today or I need this and, and to start that conversation. Um, so I feel really blessed to have that foundation. I know not everybody does. And, um, and I think that that would be a really, really difficult struggle to be struggling in life, especially with in the LGBTQ community and feel like you have no connection with heaven. Um, the people who come to me and, and say that, that my heart goes out to them, you know, my heart breaks because that has been such a saving foundation for me that, I really wish everybody had that. And I just know it's the reality that not everybody does. Um, But I feel like on on my mission, that's what I learned is I learned how to reach out to heaven and to truly trust God. And I feel like the decade after my mission was really starting to dig into the feedback I got from heaven in not in voices, um, but in really just like subtle ways, thoughts and feelings of heaven wanting me to trust me. And I don't know that we talk about that principle as much as we should in the church space. We really focus on pushing our agency off onto people who seem more trustworthy. But when I study Christ's example, and when I go to to God, I really feel a push back from them going, in order to become like Christ, Claire, you need to trust you. I feel like Christ knew who he was. He knew how to work within that space. He knew how to give credit to God, but to also own it. Christ was never going to be one to go, well, you know, so-and-so said this, so I had to do it, or the prophet said this or whatever. Like Christ is very, I am that I am, you know, like I know who I am and I'm not going to lie. Um, And so I've got strength from that, but just really heaven going, you have to trust you, Claire. I think God can work with us on a certain level, but I think it ends when we stop trusting ourselves, when we have given our agency to an institution or to a person or to an idea or a theology I think it puts a cap on growth and I don't ever want to put a cap on my growth. I want to become like Christ. And so I really felt like I needed to learn how to trust me. And in this space, how do you trust you when you've never been able to tell the truth to yourself or to think the truth or to really stand up and face it in the mirror and go, this is who I am. What do I do next? Um, So that has been a really big foundation block for me of I want to have a relationship with God and Christ where I can be open with them and tell them everything that's going on. You know, like I would a best friend. I'm a really introverted private person. So I'm not the kind of person who like something happens, I pick up the phone and I'm like, Oh my gosh, let me tell you everything. I'm the kind of person who wants to sit and think and figure it out before I reach out to someone and already have a solution sometimes before I ever collaborate, um, which is probably very frustrating for my loved ones. But I really have had to cultivate a relationship with heaven where I can tell my heavenly parents in Christ, everything, um, everything that I'm feeling. And so the example that I use, um, is really like angry prayers. I don't know if you've ever had anybody talk about that or, or what that looks like, but, um, there are days when, when God gets all my anger and all my frustration and it's unfiltered. And I, I kind of grew up in a society where you didn't, Present that side of yourself to God. You know, you didn't ever let God hear you swear. You didn't ever tell God the things you're frustrated about. You waited until you were in a better mindset and frame of mind before you came to Him. Kind of like a temple setting. When I'm showered and dressed in white, then I go to God and I ask Him for what I need. And that model really broke down for me um, because I I understand how that makes a lot of sense, but for me. I need God when I'm, when I'm not in those settings, right? I need him at my worst. I need him to be able to sit on my bedroom floor with me where I haven't showered in two days. I smell really bad. I'm really grumpy or anxious or whatever it is. Like I need him in that space with me. And so I have to relate to him on that level. And the only way that I know how to create or to invite God into that space is to initiate that. So I had to go, Heavenly Father, I'm really mad right now. And let me tell you everything that I'm mad about and trusting in their perfection, their Godhood, that they can take it. The idea that, that God can take my anger, God can take my frustration. He can take my swear words. He can take all of that. And what I have found personally is that when I get all of that off of my soul, God holds it. And then he gives me some of himself back. I get some, some grace. I feel some Christ-like attributes coming back my way because I trusted Him with my, with my ugly, with my imperfect, with those really those parts of me that I don't want anyone else to see. Um, So that has really cultivated my relationship with Christ. Is that I want Him to be the first person I want to go to when when I'm feeling something. When I'm feeling anxious, can I put it to words? And can I put it in a prayer? Um, Is kind of my sign or my "I love you" to Christ of this is how much I trust you that I'm going to bring you into this really freaky, scary, ugly place. And to see how soft that heaven has, has returned that with me, it has really strengthened um, my relationship with heaven.
0: You're a mature soul, Claire, with very good vocabulary and very good understanding of our doctrine. And I think about just, I agree with everything you said. I think Satan's um, one of his greatest goals is to separate us from God. And if he can create in our mind that, like you said, we should only present ourselves to our heavenly parents on our best days, we've got it all worked out on our own, and we're back to emotionally whatever, and um, our ugliest moments are behind us, and then we start turning to God. I think Satan wins a little bit there if he can create a culture in our mind that we shouldn't be angry or we shouldn't do. I believe that our doctrine is that, you know, he, is, he wants to be with us and he wants to be with us in our good days and our bad days. And he wants to walk with us and probably aware of what's going on. But I think when we reach out, it creates connection there. So I love that. And I love that you're probably teaching that to people. I love how you frame up the institution of the church. We have a very strong institution um, in our in our faith. And I think that's a good thing. But I think one of the I don't quite know how to word this to be as, as respectful as I want to be. I think sometimes, let me say it this way, the the role of the institution is a means um, to help us do the things Claire is sharing with us, to come into Christ and have a relationship and to come and have the relationship with our Heavenly Father, know that our Heavenly Parents love us. And I think sometimes that can get a little sidetracked as that our relationship becomes the institution of the church. Um. And I, when I hear the institution of the church using the hashtag, hear him, I think they're reinforcing the idea that it doesn't say, hear the institution of the church, the hashtag is hear him, and we're a means here as an institution of the church to help people do what Claire is teaching. Um, but it's possible that a leader, a part of the institution of the church will fail us at times. And if our Old testimony is based on the institution of the church, which me is a mortal imperfect organization that has God's authority and is his restored church that part could break our testimony or wound our testimony if our whole testimony is tied up with a perfect institution rather um, a means to help us do the things that Claire is doing in her life and are you okay with what I've with that framing of that
1: yeah absolutely and it makes me think of of a couple examples um It makes me think of President Ballard, and I don't have the exact source, but I know that you can search it. But he says in one of his talks, I think it was given to seminaries and institutes, he says, I'm a general authority. I'm not an authority in general. And I loved that turn of phrase, um, that he's admitting that, that I don't know everything. And I think if we had one on one conversations with any church leader or any scripture figure from any time in the world, I think they would be the first ones to admit. I'm a normal human being and I make mistakes and I'm trying to be like Christ. And I think as long as we can remember that humanity, we it creates a little bit more space for us to move with grace instead of bumping into black and white walls and just smashing against them over and over because it does come it, it becomes really difficult when the institutionalization of the church is rigid and whereas humans are trying to move within that space. And I think sometimes giving the humanity back to our leaders going, you know what? I I realize that every single one of our church leaders is going to have opinions. They're going to have quirks. They're going to have things that they love and don't love. And instead of being surprised when I see one of them at a sporting event, instead of being freaked out when President Uchtdorf mentions Diet Coke in a general conference talk, instead of going, oh my gosh, they're human, already giving them that leeway of going, yeah, I expected that. You know, I think that that is... It's difficult. Um, it also made me think of Elder Renland, who in a talk recently talked about um, uh, someone who uh, he painted the story of someone who is in the ocean who needs to be rescued. And a man comes in this really beat up boat and rescues them. And this person who's been rescued is realizing this boat is leaking. The paint is chipped off. The guy who's leading it's a little crazy. All he has is saltines. He doesn't have real food. And and the picture of this person who's been saved decides to jump back in the water because they didn't like the boat that was saving them. And Elder Rundland paints the picture of this is the institutionalized church. You know, like if you look at it up close, there's dings. The paint needs to be redone. It's leaking in places. But it is trying to move towards survival And through salvation. And so why don't we move with it together instead of going, if I see one crack in this boat, I'm going to jump ship and I'm out. And I I think that he really leans onto that side. I think some other people would go, well, there's the other side of it. We're going, this boat is on its way down and, and we need to change it. And why are we pretending like it's, you know, I got rescued by a yacht. And I think that there's space for both of those kind of moving into the middle ground of going, yeah, let's humanize each other and let's move forward.
0: I love that, um, keep sharing just things that come to your mind, things you'd like to share. I love I know we've got kind of a loose outline here, and one of the things that really resonated with me is in this space, silence is a loud message, so you could start there or anything that comes yeah. to your mind.
1: no, I love that um that's something that has been really on been on my mind and heart lately as as people after I did the podcast two weeks ago with Ben and Charlie was when that dropped it two weeks ago was when it came live and Um, it's been about daily. I would say at least once a day, somebody reaches out to me, whether that's on social media or someone I know, but I get a text or a DM or something of someone going, Hey, I heard your podcast. I have a question. I have a thought. Can I share my story? Can we, um, can we talk more about this? And I think that speaks a lot to the, the need in this space that there are people who are just starving for anyone to reach out. And instead of them having to reach out to someone they don't know, I wish they could reach out to a family member or a friend or a church leader. Um, But one one of the trends that I'm noticing that has been weighing on my heart is people feeling like they don't have any sort of support system. And as I ask more questions, I find, and this isn't everyone's story, but I have found this trend that they say something like, well, they haven't said anything negative outright, but I just don't feel safe. Like they're not out there picketing or yelling or whatever, but I also just don't know if I can trust them. Um, And that has led me to kind of that idea that I think that when we're scared, um, we're worried about saying the wrong thing. We don't really know because we don't have answers ourselves. Uh, Our tendency is towards silence. Right. If I don't say anything, then nobody can hold what I did say against me. (laughs) And so I think that sometimes loved ones do that. They just kind of sit back in silence and just, I want to present to them the idea that your silence is sending a really loud message. And it's probably not the message that you want to send. Silence in this space sounds like judgment. It sounds like disapproval. It sounds like shame. And I don't know that that's necessarily what loved ones are trying to send. Um, But if I share part of my soul with somebody and the response that I get back is kind of a superficial, yeah, I still love you, but then followed by days and weeks and months and years of silence, that silence is going to send such a louder message. Um, Now, I'm not saying that that means that if you have a loved one who comes out, you immediately need to have a pride flag in your yard, or you need to have like something like that. And that's not what I'm saying. If that feels comfortable and good for you, then go for it. But I think the follow-up conversations of continuing to reach out and to go, Hey, you know what? You came out to me, or you said this, can we have another conversation? Is there anything else you want to tell me? I have some questions. I'm not really sure if these questions are offensive or not, but I, I do want to continue the conversation. I think that does a lot more than just the silence. Um, for me personally, if someone said, Hey, I got a question that gets me really excited and happy because that person is trying to create a space to learn. If someone says, Nope, I don't have any questions. I'm good to me. That is, it kind of feels dampening and saddening to me that I shared something that's meaningful to me. And the reaction was like neutral or silent. Um, And so I just, I have had an array. I have a big family. I got five brothers and five sister-in-laws and, um, both of my parents with me. And so that's just my immediate space. And then 14 nieces and nephews, you know, so we got a pretty good space, but the responses have been varied, you know, in a big family like that, there are people in different spots of life. And the number one thing that has been helpful for me is people individually in their own way, trying to figure out how to let me know that I got you, Claire. You know, I'm still here. I'm, I don't have all the answers, but I'm not going to let the silence be the most predominant part of our conversation. Um, so that was just kind of my idea behind that. I think that people are looking for someone who is going to say, I am a safe place and I want to hear more and I want to learn. Um, that's how they know if someone is just neutral or hasn't said anything, in my ward or in my group, I don't know. I don't know that they could be an ally. I don't know that they still love me. Like we really, as humans need that feedback. And so I would just invite everyone to check that feedback for me. Like, am I sending the message that I want to send or am I kind of leaving it ambiguous?
0: That's a great segment. Um, Spencer Thompson talked about the vulnerability hangover when one episode when he came out and was really brave. And I think it was in a church setting. And then and next week he felt this, ang- this being anxious coming back to church because he'd been so vulnerable now he's got to reface that group again. And that, taught, that was a very new concept to me. And um, it helped me understand that once people are vulnerable with whatever, they need um, people to continue to engage in the subject. And the next time they see him or have a conversation, just like you've invited us to do, would you like to continue to talk about this? Um, open-ended you know questions the churches will make, well i I'll put this in the show notes they have a, a section called i think it do you remember what it's called ministering resources it's kind of for leaders um for lgbtq board members and it has really good content in there that would apply to parents and friends Is it so, the
1: life help section yeah i think yeah. so i love the life help, life help section um it I love that it's in your gospel library. It's right in your hand, like on your phone, but I love the way that it's laid out because it's laid out mostly in questions. Yes. As a section for individuals, if this is me here, are maybe some of the questions that we're going to guess you're asking. And here's some of the things where you can land softly and for priesthood leaders and for family and friends. I love that. It's laid out that way of, um, a lot of those questions. It's been really nice for me in settings and at my job or at, um, at church when people ask questions to pull out my phone and go pull up your gospel library let's go there together that feels so safe for church members to go to the church uh app and then go in and go and mostly the reaction i get is i didn't know this existed i didn't know this was here and so that's part of um one of the things that i've kind of thought of and this is an analogy that really works for me but i uh i don't know what kind of phone you have richard but i have an iphone i do and i have a- Okay. You have an I've iPhone. Been, so I have an iPhone 13.
0: Oh, mine's um, not uh, as, as advanced as yours, but it is an iPhone. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Mine broke. And so I had to upgrade, but <laughs> I just, I, I think people get this is um, if you think back to like an iPhone one, if I took that first edition iPhone and I tried to run it today, the software would absolutely melt <laughs> the hard drive, the capacity of what that could do. Um, and it's just kind of a funny story. My mom, uh, my mom and I both had iPhone tens and, um, she didn't know about the automatic updates or didn't somehow it got turned off. And so she hadn't been receiving those updates. So it stopped working. She went in and they tried to just upload all of the hardware at the same time and actually kind of fried her phone. So she had to get a brand new one. And I just, that analogy clicked for my brain of in the church, in our testimonies, in my understanding it's kind of like me running off of an iPhone one with what I learned when I was growing up or what I heard people in the nineties say about the LGBTQ community or even 10 years ago. And how as a church, we all need to receive the update. If we can all go to the gospel library app and at least look at what they have in life help section, watch the videos, listen to what church leaders are saying. These are literally our prophets who are saying things like president Ballard of, we need to listen to our LGBTQ brothers and sisters, right? Like if we would all receive that update, then I think we could have better conversations, but we have some people who through for a variety of different reasons are still trying to run off of that iPhone one of when their testimony was first forged. And I think if we could all do that, I think it could really be a boost in this space, but in all spaces, if we all were going, I'm not going to rely on my testimony from when I served a mission or when I first got baptized or from years ago, like I'm going to renew my testimony today. And keep asking God, what else do you have? What's part of the ongoing restoration that I don't know yet? I think we could really move church culture out of a place where it kind of has a negative connotation into a place that's refreshing, that feels good, and that is built for more people to come and is a lot more able to receive revelation than maybe it has been in the past.
0: Love that. Um, Talk about, there's four or five other topics on here. Just kind of what is your impression you'd like to talk about next?
1: Um, I have tried to be really careful in, in the place with my job, um, and just kind of parents and, and students and other church leaders, because, um, one of the side effects of coming out is that the second you release your words out into the world, other people can take them and do whatever they want. And that happens with all sorts of music and art, um, and, and anything really that's released to the public can get twisted in a lot of ways. And um, I have moved to a different school for seminary this year. So I spent um, five or six years in the past at, at Highland High School and really knew a lot of people there. And, and people got to know me and families knew me and leaders knew me and we'd work together. Um, and so coming out in that space, it was a good time and place for me to be able to, people had to check their own assumptions to go, whoa, this is new information but also I know sister Dalton and people have had positive experiences. And so they get to sit in that kind of dissonance and figure out, well, this is scary to me, but how come everyone around me is going, no, this is good. And they kind of had to work through that. Um, Moving to a new school has been difficult on that front because a lot of the things that people are hearing the second they hear my name, um, you know, I, I have really tried not to use this phrase, but it is the one that's said about me is people keep telling me, I heard about the gay seminary teacher. Wow. And that hurts because that means my entire personality and, and my being is boiled down to gay and seminary teacher. And, uh, and I don't want to be pigeonholed into either one of those without the other. And there's so much more to who I am than just those two. Um, but it is hard when students come into my classroom or parents, all they hear is like, oh, did you know that? And then it's the gossip. Um, And it's the scandal. And so I wish that we um, I wish we created spaces for each other that no matter what the setting is, when I hear something about someone, I hold some space for that not being the whole truth. You know, and that could be in any sort of setting. But if I hear that so and so did this or, oh, my gosh, did you know this about them? Just pause and go. What's the likelihood that that is the entire story? And it's usually not very high. There's usually more to be added in. Um, I think that something that is difficult for us to see within ourselves, but easy to see in other people is this desire for gossip and for interesting details and spilling the tea. And so the second that someone hears this really interesting to them part of my life, that's the only thing they want to focus on or hear about. And then any other thing that I'm saying gets drowned out in that wash. Um, and I, I don't know that we can control that all the time, but I think we can also have some grace in there with, um, how we hear it and where it comes from. And so I would just, I guess from my side of things, I wish, here's my wish list. I wish that people would ask questions when they hear things and not a question of, this is a curiosity question. Cause I want to know more dirt, but a question of like, where did you hear this from? Or have you ever met or talked to this person, right? If someone hears something about Sister Dalton, I hope that someone would go, have you actually met her? And see where that conversation goes because I find that people talk about me more than talk to me. Um, I wish that people checked sources and information. That's a really scary thing to do, but I wish that people would talk to me and go, I heard this about you. Is this true at all? Um, could be really helpful in you know a church that we seem to be really focused on truth. We should practice those principles in all the conversations that we have, um, and just hold space for, I, I love my teenagers and I love my parents, but I also know that teenagers can tend to leave a lot of important information out. <laughs> you know, if you've ever been a parent to a teenager, had a conversation and, um, You know, you ask a teenager a question, the answer you get is usually this much of this much of a story. And so sometimes teenagers will go home and tell their parents things, and then I'll get a phone call or an email or my principal will get a phone call or an email about, well, this is being taught in her class. And um, suffice it to say, rarely when I'm quoted, is it actually what I said or what I taught? Um, The second something leaves my mouth and goes into someone else's head and then goes in there, we all know the telephone game. And so I just wish that we would give each other that sort of grace and not just for me, but also for your Bishop, also for any sort of leader and and member and coworker and any person in your life that I wish we lived in a culture where when I heard something that was shocking or scary, that my immediate reaction was, I want to talk to that person one-on-one and not to accuse them or not to punish them, but to go, Hey, I heard this. Is this actually real? I want to hear it from the source. I think we talk about revelation from the source a lot that we want to go to God directly. And we don't want, um, to listen to all of the clutter of millennia of people who have studied and read and talked about Christ. Like, I don't want to learn about him. I want to learn from him. Um, and so I, I hope that maybe there are some principles there that we can all apply inwardly about kind of where, where am I at? And when I hear something, what's my assumption, and do I check my own assumptions uh, before I check other people's? And it just kind of makes me think of um, Anthony Sweat is a great teacher and really talks about how to, as a historian, how to check data and to check sources. And I really loved his work that he has done. But he talks about in church history when someone pulls up a quote from church history, Joseph Smith said this or Brigham Young said this. Checking the source is the source from the same time period. Is a really big indicator, right? Is this source close to um, the person they're talking about? Is it a primary source? Is it a secondary source? Is it a tertiary choice? Like you can go on and on with all of that. So if you're interested in Anthony Sweat, I think does the best job of that that I've heard. But I wish that we did that in real time with each other. If someone was going to tell me something about my best friend that sounded really off to me, I hope that my reaction was to go to my best friend and go. Hey, I heard this, like, can we have a better conversation? I want to hear your side. I want to understand this better. I think if we come with understanding, it leaves room for revelation. It leaves room for the spirit to actually do some work. When we come with anger, with accusations, with fear, I think it cuts off the the source of revelation.
0: I love all of that. Keep sharing.
1: Um, I'll give you an example. So I haven't shared this, this is fairly recent, so I'll keep it very general. Um, but in my current situation in teaching, I have a class, um, that has, I, I, I love my classes for all different reasons. And sometimes some classes are just harder in certain aspects because not necessarily of the individuals, but kind of of the mix right? You can have 36 amazing individuals, but you put them in the same room together and the way they play off of each other sometimes creates these little microcosms of things that are very difficult. And I have one class right now who, um, I have received through my principal. Um, so that's another kind of thing that I don't always get the direct feedback. It usually goes to, um, the priesthood leader above me, my Bishop, my stake president, or my my, um, my boss or my employer, my, my seminary principal right now. And so um, I get this feedback and and I think this just kind of maybe illustrates the space that I'm trying to work in Richard. So in the same classroom, I received feedback from two different parents. So feedback that they're receiving from their students. Okay. So first one um, comes from a student who reported back to their parents that um, all I ever talk about in class is LGBTQ, everything, um, it's everything that I talk about. We never actually talk about the scriptures or Christ. And that I mean, this is really triggering for me, but I think it's instructive. Just accusations like, um, I don't use the word lesbian to describe myself. That was a really hard trigger word for me growing up. It was very derogatory and negative. And um, I'm fine using that word if it's more comfortable for other people. If someone wants to, if someone identifies that way, I will absolutely use that for them. But I have never used it to for myself. I've never self-applied it. I use gay cuz it's it feels a little bit more comfortable for me. But this parent email was just all accusations like um this teacher dresses like a lesbian, this teacher speaks like a lesbian, this teacher um shows preferential treatment to only the girls in class and there's a different set of rules for the young men and just a lot of really hurtful accusations. That's really hurtful. Um That was coming from this perspective that this is all that I can ever do in a classroom. And just the idea that, like, I really wish I could sit down and be like, please tell me like, will you tell me how do I speak like a lesbian because I would love to know what you think that is, you know what, so that was this Okay, that's that's one student's perspective. And um, that took me a lot to work through. I really had to sit down with my principal and how do we handle this with grace? It sounds like this student and this parent are working off of an experience that maybe I'm outside of and not even a part of, and they've had some sort of fear inducing experience. So how do we give them an opportunity to grow and not pigeonhole them into where they're at right now? So second example from the same classroom. So these two students on a given day could sit seats apart from each other Um, feedback from another student through their parent. That was, um, everybody knows that this teacher has claimed that she's gay and she never talks about it. She's never brought it up in class. Um, and we feel like she's hiding and is not authentic. And that's really preventing our ability to connect with her as a teacher. Um, and so I received these feedbacks from parents really about like a week and a half apart and they're in the same classroom. (laughs) And, um, that's really frustrating for me as a person. And I try to handle some things with humor. So the humor in me goes, man, I should get a raise or like an award or something for being the best teacher in the world. If I can do both of those things at the same time, I must be a magician, you know, like that's the humor in me. And then the really not humorous side of me is really, there have been a lot of tears and a lot of frustrations over that going, I'm trying to walk a space that hasn't been walked. And I'm trying to do it in a way that's palatable for all groups of people and all types of people and experience. I want the kid who has never, ever had an LGBTQ positive experience or conversation in their life to be able to realize that that's not going to destroy their faith. I also want the kid in my class who has come out to know that there is a space for them in the church and in my classroom and amongst our community. And to be able to do that, it's really, really tricky and it's really hard. And I probably don't do it right from any one of a hundred perspectives. You know, there's always going to be someone who goes, you could have done this. And I'm like, you're right, but I'm also a human and my best efforts never going to be good enough. So I rely a lot on the spirit to do a lot of that work in between a lot of that translating. Um, I sometimes joke my prayer, and I guess it's not a joke, but my prayer to the spirit a lot is that, that God will allow the spirit to translate the things that I said wrong in class today. Like if I said something that was going to hurt or damage someone's faith, will you please have the spirit edit that out for me? Or if I said something not as well as I could have, will you please have the spirit translate that better so that that person can hear something that's faith affirming instead of where I didn't quite get it, you know? And so that's my prayer all the time as a human and as a teacher is I hope that the grace that I'm relying on is doing its work, but it's really hard for me to try and walk this space where it feels like it doesn't matter what I do. Someone has an opinion on it and someone is trying to call me out for, for not being good enough or for trying to destroy someone else's faith. Um, And so I I give those examples. I try to give them very generally. I don't want, if anyone related to any of those situations, I don't want them to feel like I was trying to call them out personally. I get it that everybody's going to come with a different perspective. And I'm sure that anybody involved in those situations, you know, would learn some things and maybe come back and go, that was misunderstood. I didn't mean that. And I'm fine with that. Everybody gets grace in my eyes, but just as an illustration for what it's like for someone in this space, who's trying to to do good who's trying to represent christ how difficult it can be and so my question for anyone listening is if you had faced both of those experiences what would you do you know if someone had called you out in those ways what is the next step um and and i don't i don't know (laughs) i don't know what to do that's the right choice so i just try to go heavenly father if there's something that i can do today or say let me do it and if maybe this is a fight for tomorrow let me know that too and um i can't rely on other people's feedback as my identity and my validity i have to really go back to christ and my heavenly parents and the source um and that's really hard to do it's a practice that i'm trying and i'm not very good at it all the time but i can say that my consistency is there that at least i keep trying to go back to it but on the really hard days and on the really good days, I try to ask myself some questions at the end of the day. Um, how do I feel about my efforts today? You know, did I honestly try to do my best? Cause that's all that anyone can ask for. I try to go to Christ and go, okay, Christ, I was trying to represent you today as a disciple. And I'm talking about inside and outside of the classroom, right? Just in a day, Christ, do you recognize the efforts that I was trying to give? and then my heavenly parents of I'm, I'm trying to do this life thing and I'm human and I suck at it, but what's your feedback. And as I ask for my heavenly parents feedback, most often it is just an overwhelming, you're doing great. You know, you're trying, that's all that we expect. Um, and keep going. And, and those are the places where I keep going back for feedback.
0: It was a really brave, vulnerable segment. Um, my heart just kind of reaches out through you through the Zoom screen. You said some things that I wrote down, a space that hasn't been walked. And it's absolutely true. There's no role model of, of how to be a gay seminary teacher. Um, other women that have walked this road 20 or 30 years, people in our church leadership that are gay um, and serving in the church and sort of navigated the space and normalized it. Um, so I just recognize that you're a pioneer, and and I love the word grace. I think of um, another line you said that is good for all of us. This segment's good for all of us, um, but this, this I can't rely on the feedback for others for my validity. I, at 61, I still haven't been able to quit doing that, but I love the way you articulate and you come back to your heavenly parents. You know, I think of Elder Christofferson's talk, The Doctrine of Belonging. I'm not sure that phrase has been used before in our church in a conference talk but I think about your story and then our responsibilities the body of Christ as Latter-day Saints to help you feel like you belong and that part of that is is you know supporting you as a seminary teacher and believing in you and trusting you and recognize that uh, people that know how to do this have invited you you it's not easy to become a seminary teacher um, and they believe in you, and you have, you know, it's an empl- you're an employee, but I think it's somewhat of a calling to be trusted with high school youth. I can still name the names of my seminary teachers, from you know this is 40 years ago, and so I think we have to, um, if we're really going to put our, you know, honor this idea of doctrine of belonging, we've got to do everything we can to support. LGBTQ Latter day Saints, um, as they serve bravely within our church, and some are going to come out. And then we need to feel like we're um, real, real intentional that they belong. We have six kids, and all of them are out of seminary age, but listeners, I would be thrilled if Claire was one of our kids' seminary teachers for a few reasons. One, I love that you're a woman in an organization that hasn't had many women teachers. And that would be good for our four sons and our two daughters. It's good for our sons to see women leaders and women voices in church and society. It's good for them and it's good for our daughters. And I would love um, for that one reason. The second reason is you teach the doctrine of Christ. My kids, after being in your class, I would feel confident that they have a stronger testimony of the role of the Savior in their life, and the love of heavenly parents. And that's one of the greatest gifts as a parent I would want for my children, that set of principles to guide them in the high school years and beyond, and your ability to do that. And I would be glad that you're gay. I would recognize we have six, I think all of our six kids are straight. Um, So it's not so that they would find somebody like them, but they are all um, our kids that have served missions said, "Dad, we had—I had now know I had gay companions and gay investigators and gay people in my life—and I had no skill." Um, I got a message today from somebody that said, "You know, we taught a lesbian woman. I had no vocabulary to relate to her, and I think she was pretty interested in the church, but I had no context to relate to her and feel comfortable around her and talk—even the right vocabulary." So. I would think as a parent, you would be prepared, how many future missionaries are coming through your class and you will be the first and only openly gay person and the seeds that were planted in them to help them down the road will come back to Sister Dalton and they'll think about you and what you've taught them and who you are and people are hard to hate close up, move in as Brene Brown teaches and I think our leaders teach with the quotes and. And they will look back and it will give them tools that they didn't have. Some of your students are going to be parents one day and have gay kids, and and they'll think of you. So there's so much fear around this space, but I think that's the way I would hope parents would feel about knowing their kid has a gay seminary teacher, a gay Sunday school teacher, a gay primary teacher, a gay bishop. Um, I look at the church or, or chart, and one of my you know dream a uh, dream is that you know there's just a scattering of lgbtq people in that church chart and it's normalized i think heavenly parents have normalized this cuz you're not a mistake and i think we'll normalize you know lgbtq people being part of heavenly father, the household of god is i love the visual imagery of we're all the household of god and you are claiming your space in the household of god and and that is a good thing so that's a little bit of the way i feel about Claire and how she talks and how I'd approach it as a parent Um, and that it's a good thing. And I think she does a really good balance of probably not talking about this at all (laughs) or very little because you're probably really guarded. And so to be told that you're talking about all the time. um, And then I think, and I'm doing too much talking here, I think this is why people leave. (laughs) I don't know how how often you've said, well, I'm just done with the church and with this path of employment because it's so painful. And I just don't feel like there's any path to belong. And yeah, you've got a personal story in here. How are you going to figure out being, you know, a gay Latter-day Saint for the next, you know, six decades, if you're going to live to be 90. We haven't even gotten to that, but here you've got a professional story, which is really a ministering story to help people. And and so it helps me realize why people leave, because it's just so painful sometimes. And I'm glad you stay. (laughs) But I'm glad you probably open up on your real painful leaving days, if those exist at times. I'm done with your heavenly parents and sort of regroup and stay. But I do think if God could take you to the top of this mountain and see the totality of your ministry, that's just the seeds that are being sown over the last seven years in those, in those youth will be one of the greatest blessings of your life.
1: And some of those, thank you so much for saying that, Richard. I just, I can feel the true charity and love that you have. And that, I mean, everything that you said is what I hope for. I hope that, that parents can see that I don't want to destroy anybody's faith, that I really want everyone to get to know Christ and their heavenly parents better. And I don't want people to quote sister Dalton for the rest of their lives. (laughs) That's actually really scary for me. I want people, if anything, to go, Sister Dawn helped me get to know Christ better, or she taught me how to find truth for myself, or she allowed me a space for me to figure it out. Those are all sentences that I'm a lot more comfortable. And I hope that that parents realize that, that I'm not trying to supplant anybody. I don't want to replace anybody important in their lives. I just want students to know that, that there is a place for them in Christ. And I don't have the answers for their story. I'm trying to figure out mine, but that if we all do that for each other, it is going to lead to Zion, not away from it. Um, and so I, one of the the things that keeps me going, um, because I do have those days, there are days when the people in my circle get a text or a phone call and I've said, I'm done, you know, like, I can't do this anymore. If I just got a job in any other field, <laughs> in business or training or something like it would be a huge weight off of my shoulders on days where people didn't try to equate my salary with my testimony and my covenants and like make them all one big thing that they can pull out from under me when they don't like what i do um and and there are those days you know i'm not gonna lie to you and say that there's not but the things that i have found that get me through those days is that my heavenly parents are so perfectly good at sending me little tender mercies Um, and those often come in the form Of friends and family and past students. So a couple of the things that have really helped, I've had, um, students that I've taught in the past who have been on missions, who will reach out to me on social media and who will go, Hey, we're teaching this, you know, this member or this, excuse me, this non-member who is a lesbian or who is gay. And, and we don't know how to teach them. Will you zoom in for a a meeting with us? And I've done a couple of those. And just be able to share my testimony and tell people, you know, I don't know your path for you, but if you're looking for how I found Christ here, here's where I found it. Or missionaries who have written me and just sister I always had this question in high school. I never knew how to ask it. Something LGBTQ related. I know I can ask you this now and being able to have those interactions, um, to have parents who have come back to me after their kid is long gone from my classroom and say, you know what, this happened. Did you know this? And I'm usually unaware, but it led to this conversation. We're able to have this better conversation as a family because of something that you had brought up in class or something that a student heard or those little things are what keep me in this space. Um, that feedback um, and, and something that I, that I haven't ever shared before. But um, after I came out publicly, um, that first week, like I came out over a break, over a fall break, um, was my social media post. And then I came back that first day back and I had no idea what I was walk- walking into, right? Are there gonna be people who lock my door? And am I gonna be like, like I don't know. And, and I had students who came in that day who came and found me, who said, you know, I, I heard this over break, can we talk more? Um, and one that really, really lifted and, and sustained me was a student who I had taught years before who was still at Highland um, came to my office and sat down and came out to me Wow, and, and had just said, you gave me the courage last week to come out to my parent. And when I came out to my parent, my parent came out to me Wow, and, and a student saying, I had never known that I could have that sort of conversation with my parent. And I had been so terrified that they would reject me or kick me out of the house or tell me I'm, I'm gross or disgusting. And to have a parent look me in the eye and go, your story parallels my own story. And they said, I have never had a better conversation or connection with my parent before. Um, And that, that was not something I could ever have expected. Um, I just sat and cried with that student because If, if, if me saying or doing anything, if me sharing any part of me allows that to happen for someone else, that makes it all worth it. That makes the bad days, something that aren't going to last forever. I can get through them. It makes the good days even sweeter, but I have had those sorts of experiences now in, you know, double digits. I would say over 30 would be just my off the cuff guess of conversations with current or past students or parents of someone close to them came out or they've needed this conversation or it suddenly has made a difference for them. And those numbers tell a really big story, Richard. I think that in some of our bubbles in the church, we think that this is just the crazy outlier and it's one person and they're just going off. But I have been able to see because I have become a safe space people have started to come in and those numbers always shock me and they shouldn't shock me. But I think that for anyone who is feeling any sort of pull in the ally community or understanding this, the second you vocalize that you're a safe space for anybody's story, that you're not going to tell them what to do, but you're just going to be in that space with them. I think you start to see the body of Christ suddenly grow in ways that you couldn't have imagined. And that household of Christ doesn't become a household. It becomes a mansion and it encompasses the whole world that literally my heart has been opened in ways that I didn't know it was possible for me to love people so quickly and so deeply and to feel so connected with Christ, with heavenly parents, with fellow people, with myself the deepening of that connection is something that I will always be grateful for. And that keeps me moving forward and not moving backward. I never could have expected that. I didn't, that wasn't even on my radar of things to expect. I was worst case scenario, you know, with everything I could do, but those connections have made me feel closer to Christ um, than just about anything else
0: in my life. Terrific segment. Um, I love the concept of being a safe place as a parent. I recognize that my kids' seminary teachers, because they were a safe place for me, would often be a safe place for them. So they could have conversations with trusted adults that perhaps they weren't ready to have with me. And so I think that's a good thing. And that we, those of you in the as seminary teachers, when you say kind things and we as parents, about like Christ did, all groups of people, it communicates you're a safe place. Talk about this is a question that just popped in my brain. Or you could answer this, or go. We're kind of coming to the end, but I don't feel like signing off, even if you have plans. But now we're good. Talk to church education. Is it what is CS church education system?
1: Mm-hmm. Church education system is the big umbrella, and then beneath that they have like BYU pathways and seminaries and institutes. Okay. And so different umbrellas. It used to be flipped, and they have in the last decade changed that. So, Seminary Institute is a small part of the church education system.
0: So, there may be closeted church education system um, employees listening, wondering, should I be like Alec and Claire and come out? And this triggered me because in this meeting we were together at um, Allison Dayton's house, when I got the chance to meet you, somebody there said, well, Um there's a lot that aren't out um they're just kind of the two brave ones, and so i I thought about that quite a bit, and I thought about um and this may be people that are just closeted in the church they're wondering, should I be like Claire or Ben Shalotti who's out or others that are out or what principles I'm sure you've had these conversations talk to that group of people what principles and I don't think you'll say a yes or no answer. I think you'll give a principle based um Answer to this question. So just go for it.
1: <laughs> my first response would hopefully be a hug and I love you. Um, and I just the first thing that popped into my head, Richard, when you asked that was um, you know what, you you shouldn't be Alec and you shouldn't be Claire, you shouldn't be Ben, you should be you. We need you and your individual story and what that's like. And so I guess what I would say is I would say um, in your conversations with, with heaven, you're going to have to figure out what's best for you. And I think for some that will mean coming out. And when you're ready for that, I hope, you know, maybe Alec and Claire aren't names that, you know, but you reach out and you've got instant friends. Like if you, if you need me, I will fly to you. I will come for whatever you need during that time, because I had people who did that for me and it has made all the difference. So I think that it is really scary, but if you feel that sort of pull, um, I will give an amazing shout out to my faculty members, both at Higley and at Highland. Um, and that's, that's double digits of people and they all have responded with more kindness and charity and love and grace and belonging than I knew could be capable of. I feel closer to all of them. I feel like we have forged lifelong friendships. And just the softness that um all of the people that I came out to in a work setting have shown has been so amazing. Um, and also, you know, there's there's the the up the ladder in church education and and the people that I have talked to, my regional director, my area director, and on up has all been positive. I mean not perfect but positive reactions and of people who are wanting to create a better space and wanting to learn and um and I think that if we give people opportunities to step up and to implement change I think we can do that now that was me speaking to the people who feel impressed to come out for anyone out there who feels not impressed to come out I hope that you don't feel any sort of pressure from the outside Especially from me, I don't think that anyone else's path needs to look like anybody else's, and um, the best thing for you and your path might be a totally different look than what's going on right now. So I, I hope that um, that someone is able to feel confident in the choices that they make with God and wherever that leads them. That is one of my deepest hopes. Just as a human being. Um, And this analogy started to formulate in my head, I think in my late 20s, but I um, have become very sensitive to my own agency and the agency of others. And I think that we try to give our agency away. Um, And what I mean by that is I think that it is more comfortable for us to say things like in the concept of follow the prophet. We want that to mean I don't do anything until I see the prophet say or do it first. And then if somebody checks me on it, I can point at him and go, well, President Nelson said, or President Hinckley said, or Joseph Smith said. And while I think that could be a step in development for some people, I think that in the end, I want to own my agency. And I wanna make those decisions. And so President Nelson said something a couple of years ago in a Fireside with the Youth that has really impacted me. Um, I think it was in his Hope of Israel talk in 2018, but he just said, think of this, Right now, I am preparing for the day when I will be required to give an accounting to the prophet Joseph Smith, to Brigham young and to others, and ultimately to the Lord about my stewardship as God's prophet on the earth today. And I've heard President Nelson reference that a few times, that he's preparing for those future conversations with uh, past prophets and also with God about what he did. And and that got me thinking about my future conversations with Christ. I don't know how much time people spend thinking about when you meet the Savior, what's that going to be like? there's been songs written about it. And I think movies surrounding it. Um, but for me, I don't want any of that conversation to be me pointing at someone else going, Oh, I did that because so-and-so told me to, or because I read it and and that person there, I want to own my choices. And so the way that I visualize that conversation with, I usually visualize it with Christ is when we're talking and and he says something about why did you do that? maybe, My response, I want it to be, we made that choice together, right? Christ was involved in it when I first made that choice. And maybe it wasn't perfect. It probably rarely is, but I'm never going to be at a loss when I've involved Christ in every step of my life. And I have owned my agency that I'm not going to point fingers at anybody else. My parents told me, a prophet told me, Nephi told me, but I'm going to look at Christ and be able to go, I brought that to you and you and I tried to figure it out. And you were with me every step of that way. You know, you, you were with me when I made all of these choices. That is such a, it's a breath of fresh air for me to be able to envision that, that talk with Christ, that I'm not going to get any, I'm not going to get everything perfect. I'm not going to be able to go, I did this perfect. And I did this, but I do want to be able to look at my heavenly parents and my savior and go, whatever I did, we did it together. And this isn't the first time we're talking about it. And and I hope that that's what every one of our Heavenly Parents kids is able to come to, Um, no matter how long it takes or what the path looks like to get there. But I hope that we can all own our choices and to be able to look at our Savior and our parents and go, we did that. And I did that. And so now we can move forward, unlocking my agency and allowing you into my story that it's owned and it's personal and it's intense and it's deep. Um, And so I hope that anybody who's in any walk or journey of life can start to have those sorts of feelings and thoughts that you get to own your choices. And I personally feel more comfortable when I know that Christ and my heavenly parents are a part of them.
0: I love that. um, I love the concept and the principle of supporting other people's agency. I think that's part of our doctrine. Talk to parents our local leaders that, um, have got an adult kid who's acting on his or her agency and, and they feel that agency is taking him out of the church. And so we sometimes honor agency as long as it's within the church. But if someone feels, it, if they use that agency that we grant them, but we kind of want them to use it, um, naturally so as parents to stay in the church. Um, but what if they feel they're, Path is a different path, and then we're like, "Wait a second, that's quite not quite what we thought would be the outcome here." You probably had those conversations um, with others. What 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 would you give? What advice would you give to parents in that situation?
1: Agency is scary, and it feels really scary. And real agency is very difficult to cultivate. Um, and and I think our heavenly parents are the perfect example of that. Right, I I think about we sometimes get really upset that we live in a world that has bad things happening and people get to choose choices that affect us and it's not fair. Um, And all of those things are true. But I think it shows our heavenly parents respect for what they believe agency to be and how it develops the soul. It develops the person. And when someone has real agency, they can develop in a way that's different when they have a lesser version of agency, and agency that you can choose as long as you choose within this box that I have created, that I have chosen. And, and I think that that is a really scary place to operate from, from. but we are practiced in our church of going to Christ and heavenly parents is the example. So we can look at how they treat their kids and maybe pull some principles from that. Um, But I would, I go back to, and, and this is something that has developed within me Um, I think my whole life is the interplay between fear and faith. And I think it's very, I think it's soul deep. I think that um, our ability to turn inward and start to recognize, am I making this choice out of fear? Or am I making this choice out of faith? Can be testimony changers and game changers in our development. And um, I, I feel in the space of when we feel like, Decisions are really weighted, especially within families and especially within the church where we feel like these decisions are more important than should I wear a blue shirt or a red shirt today? Or where do I go out to eat? Um, fear has a tendency to creep in and to be the prime motivator. And I have tried to backtrack in my life and pause and go, wait, I want to do this. Am I doing this out of fear? Am I doing this out of faith? And I think those conversations with an adult child, if they're making choices before I come in as an adult and as a parent, I need to kind of check where I'm at. Am I afraid that I'm going to lose this child? And I think if I can start there, then I can take that to God and go, Hey, you know what, whatever the conversation ends up being, this is my fear. I don't want to make decisions out of this place of fear. I want to make a decision out of faith. So what do we do? And I think if we bring Christ into that conversation, I don't know what it's going to look like. I don't know what you're going to say, but I know that if you come in with Christ and faith, it's going to be moving a conversation forward and you're not going to be destroying a relationship long term. Um, And I think that that principle applies in all aspects of life. And I think that I have to really start to check where are my fears? Because if I bring fears to God, then he knows what to do with fear, right? He says, I have not given you the spirit of fear. And how many times when an angel shows up in the scriptures or someone happens and the first thing out of their mouths is fear not, (laughs) right? Don't freak out. God knows what to do. Like, I really believe that Christ knows what to do in every situation. So instead of me... Focusing and really putting the weight on my shoulders that I have to have this conversation right. I have to make this kid do the thing that's right. I have to do this. If I can take that off and go, this isn't about me. This is about my child in Christ. Is that connection strong? Then I can step back and go, do I trust my child? Do I really trust my child enough to make choices and to figure this thing out? And it's not gonna be perfect. My life wasn't. My life isn't. I've made bad choices myself but somehow I've gotten through it and that somehow is called faith in Christ, then I think parents can take a step back and go, I am gonna be here for you and I can be around you, but I'm not in the middle of this connection. And I think that's really, really, really hard to cultivate and it's really hard to practice and professional therapists might be able to practice those things with you better than I can. But I think just that initial realization of, this mo- this conversation is motivated by fear, and I want to change that. I think will allow the grace of Christ's atonement to come in and do the thing that it does, which is to
0: change. Love that segment. Um, listeners, I just have really enjoyed this podcast. I'll turn it over to Claire for any final comments. But I, I was reflecting this week on, I've been an ally for six years, and that's not a very long time to be in this space. I wasn't in any way connected to the space. Prior to that, and I, I sometimes think what's changed the most in six years, and I got an email this week from a young man who's leaving on his mission, and he sent me his farewell talk, and he um, is gay, and he owned that in a very appropriate way in his farewell talk, and I was just so, just like you, Claire, I was so impressed with him. Um, I'm not sure that I've ever heard of somebody giving a farewell talk. Um, I'm sure there's been closeted people giving farewell talks, but sort of talk about them in a natural and a positive way with no shame. And I thought it was just so well done. And I thought came to my mind is he's just owning his place in the church. And that's one of the things that's probably changed the most in my six years is just LGBTQ people, queer people are stepping forward and sort of owning their place in the church and the household of God. And I'm here. And I belong, even sometimes it's hard to belong and fit in, and, but I'm going to be here um, because I'm you know, i connected to Christ and I love our heavenly parents and I love the church and I want to be a voice here. And I think you're all pioneers and you're warriors. And, um, you know, uh, it's the words you use, space that hasn't been walked. You're all walking Did a podcast with a carpenter just as he was leaving his mission as an openly gay missionary. And, and you know that young man and he's home now. And I thought, why well, he's just like you, Claire and Alec. And... But there's some of you that are closeted out there. And I think if you feel like Claire suggested your role is, can you stay closeted? Don't think you can't help people feel like they belong in the household of God. You may just get this space um, and just the ability to to understand how some people not may not belong. And that may be your call, um, never to come out, but just be thoughtful enough. And to be able to just have an intuition of who's not fitting in, who doesn't feel like they belong. Um, and maybe that's because you don't feel like you belong or fit in sometimes. So I love how Claire created space that if you're not out, and don't feel it's your spot to come out. Don't feel shame about that. So um, you are all my heroes, whether you're out or not, for just what you're doing. Um, those of you that have been out have been particularly impactful to me and to our faith community. and. Um, This idea that you're just stepping forward to own your place in the household of God, and I'm here. Um, Not in a loud, abusive, obnoxious way. You're not doing that. Just, I'm here. And this is who I am. And I'm not a mistake. And my talents, including my sexual orientation or gender identity, help me come unto God and help others come unto God. And we all need these different talents. And I'm not going to bury this part about myself. I think there's a parable about not burying our talents. You probably teach at times. Sister Dalton and so I think some look at this as a talent and a way to bring people to Christ and so that's the end of what I have to say do you have any more thoughts you'd like to share in the closing segment
1: yeah uh, you just I just echo everything that you just said with a reinforcing amen and it made me think of the scripture of um where it talks about coming boldly into the throne of god wow and and I just really feel like like that echoes what I have felt and what I have seen others do. And, and I feel that confirmation. I can't speak for anybody else, but I can speak for me. I bear testimony that I have felt that confirmation from heaven of my heavenly parents saying, this is what we want you to do. And we're walking it with you. And, um, that is so reinforcing for me, especially with my faith tradition. Um, just, I, I love how your ability Richard is to, to see different groups of people and to even real time in a conversation be reinforcing what maybe one group is hearing and then holding space for maybe someone is hearing something different and let's bring that into the conversation. Um, and I think that is, is so needed and and such a cultivated skill. I think that it's something that when we're focusing on Christ and we see that he did that so well, we can start to reflect that. Um, and I, I, have resorted to asking a question um to myself and to other people recently. And so I'll just use this to close about um Ben and Charlie on their questions from the closet podcast. They're all focused on questions, right? And so the question that that they gave me originally, I actually sent back to them and said, this is a great question. It's not mine. <laughs> um, and and gave them the question that I did end up using, which is am I needed? Um, and so that's kind of what our conversation focused on. But since then I've been thinking about and I think this is something that we can all sit with um is this idea of what does it mean to be needed and starting to really pick apart what that looks like for the people within our sphere who maybe could feel not needed so here are some of the questions that i've started to ask and and they make some people squirm and so you might squirm with this and you might add some some questions on your own that cause some dissonance Um, But the questions like, questions like, do we need single people in the church? You know, being 34 and single in the church, that's a whole nother podcast you could do. And people have talked about, but really having people internalize that question of, do I think that single people are needed in this church? And if my answer is no, that's going to lead me to a certain set of actions and behaviors. Um, And I may have to challenge some of my viewpoints in what I think heaven looks like, or what is the difference between now and mortality and heaven eventually based on our, um, our theology. Um, the question of, do, do we need women in leadership spaces? Do we need women in the church? Do I really believe that women are equal? Um, and if I say, yes, what are my examples that I can give that are concrete evidence in our world today, and in our church culture, that women in fact are equal. Um, and if I have a woman in my my sphere of of influence or family or friends who says they're not feeling equal, can I listen to them about what they're saying from their perspective? What there is right? Do I do I believe that? Do I believe? And you know, you can put this into any sort of context you want. Do I believe that we need divorced people in the church, and we need those voices to be heard in those stories? to teach us more about what we actually believe about covenants and the doctrine of marriage. Um, Do we need couples who are struggling with infertility right now? Like, do I need a space for them in this church, in my ward, on my pew? Do I need people who don't have a testimony in my life? Do I need people who don't see the book of Mormon as the word of God? And, And you can substitute in anything, but I invite, I just invite everyone to do that. Start asking yourself those questions because I think being needed is so fundamental to everything that we are as humans. And I think that on a surface level, and I'm pointing to my brain, I think cognitively in our brains, we believe that everyone is needed. But when we start to parse out the world we see around us, we may find that we are not Um, creating spaces where people are feeling needed, nor are we actually projecting the perfect brain, the perfect vision we have in our brain. We're not seeing it play out in real time. And um, I can can turn a blind eye to that. I can close my eyes. I can pretend it's not real. Or I can open my eyes and my heart and look at every people, every person I meet and go, "I, I need you. I need you in my life. I need to hear your story. I want you in this space, can you teach me? And I think if I'm open to being taught, I think that allows me to to feel that charity that uh, we're all striving for that is based in Christ. And so I guess that's just what's on my mind and my heart of, um, I think we do need each other. I think we absolutely need each other. And until we figure out what that looks like, it's an inhibitor into building Zion, which I think is our goal of building Zion on earth. And I think that Christ will help each and every one of us to figure out how do I build in my little spot of the vineyard and how do I bring in those connections that we need? And so I just, I guess, Richard, that's been on my heart of, I i, I want more people to ask those questions and then wherever those questions lead you, follow it. Cause I think Christ, when we ask those questions, he's able to work in that space. Um, so just thank you. You're doing that, right? You found a spot where something was needed. And the impact that you have had is continuing to ripple and to grow. And it has rippled out to me. And I'm so grateful for that.
0: Claire, on behalf of all of us, thank you for being on the podcast. This has been a terrific podcast. And um, just thank you so much. And have a good, we're recording this on a Saturday, whereas Claire has a full day of activity ahead of her. So you've earned a lot of fun today. But thank you for your courage to be on the podcast. and who you are and your voice and your perspective and your understanding of the doctrine and your ability to clearly communicate and teach that you're a wonderfully gifted talented woman and we need you and i'm grateful for the things i've learned from you so this is claire dalton and richard osler signing off on another episode of listen learn and love